Ladies and gentlemen, welcome so, so much. Thank you so, so much for uh, being on the show today. I want to welcome you to the Project Egg Show. And today we have the honor of speaking with Scott Brown. How are you doing today, Scott? Awesome, Ben. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm so excited that you could join me here on the show today. Uh, thank you so much because I'm dying to ask you, what is your story? <laughs> Well, I turn smart people into rich people. That's awesome. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way to say it. Now, how I got to this point and, and the story behind that is probably a lot longer. Um, you know, way back in the day, strangely enough, I was an actor before I ever became an entrepreneur. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough. I went to drama school. I traveled the world acting, teaching, directing, doing Shakespeare um, all over the place. And I learned a ton. It was a great background uh, for me to kind of understand humanity. And then I got lucky enough in the early 90s. I uh, was invited to beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin to do, uh, I think it was Henry V. And while I was there, uh, I went to this dinner party and I met a doctor, this guy, uh, he had invented a new topical analgesic, this pain relieving gel that you, uh, you know, rub on for arthritis, things like that, based off of red peppers. And this guy was hysterical. He was really funny, really smart. And, uh, and we get talking and it's like two o'clock in the morning and we're talking and drinking and talking and drinking. And like, uh, finally he says, Scott, I think you can help me sell this. And I'm like, heck yeah. What do I know? You know, I was just some <laughs> actor. So well, it turned out that uh, through some connections I had and people I knew, we wrote a little deal and six months later, we sold the patent rights to a large pharmaceutical company. And now this thing is in every Walgreens in the world. And suddenly I went from being a poor, struggling, out of work actor who could barely afford my rent in a car to a guy who you know, could buy a car. And, uh, and it kind of changed my life. And from there, uh, I've started now, I think eight or nine different companies and uh, varying degrees of success, uh, but a fun, interesting way uh, to get started, I guess. That's incredible. What really inspired you to go into the the entertainment business, the the acting business in the in the beginning? In the beginning, yeah. You know, I, I come from a long line of engineers in my family. I have uncles who very smart were early on in some very big tech companies. My dad's an engineer. Uh, we had a computer when I was a kid. Um, really early before everybody else. And I loved it. I mean, I was hacking on uh, bulletin boards and all of that stuff long before anybody else uh, that I knew was playing around with that stuff. But when I was 13, like many of us, I had a big decision to make. I could go to the computer lab with all of this amazing, cool technology, or I could go to the theater where all the girls were. <laughs> so I went where all the girls were. And uh, it turned out I was okay at it, and uh, and that just led me down a path. Wow! You know, when when you said you come from a come from a long line of engineers, what immediately the the movie line that popped into my head was in uh, in my cousin Vinny, um, <laughs> when they call Marissa Tomei up, it's like, "Are you a mechanic? No, but 
my father's a mechanic. His father was a mechanic. My brother's a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> the Oscar-winning performance. Yes, absolutely. Incredible. That's wonderful. So how did, how did that uh, transition, I guess, from growing up in this, in this very analytical, technology-driven, engineer-focused uh, world, moving into what, you know, to me seems like kind of a, a totally different world. Like how did that, how did that play to your, to your identity, to your personality, to, to who you were as a person? Well, I spent years in therapy on exactly that question. Um, I think it, it was tough. You know, I was a bit of a different kid and a bit of an oddball. Um, what I found is that I had this overwhelming urge to communicate something. There was a need that I had to reach other people. And so um, I think that was just innate in me. And the theater and, and acting was a way for me to do that. Um, it, was, it was a great experience. I learned a, a lot just going through the, the words of other great, incredible, amazing writers and trying to figure out the humanity inside of that. And oftentimes, people think of acting as, you know, you're pretending or you're saying somebody else's words. Um, and yeah, you are saying somebody else's words, but the trick to being a great actor is listening. And so as I developed those skills to really listen to the people that were on stage with me, it's a skill I use every single day today. Wow. So you mentioned how through the vehicle of, of acting and other people's work, you got to really learn about humanity. And, and it, it almost seems like you get to learn about their perspective of humanity. Yeah. So what were some of the things you learned? Like what were some <laughs> of those, those gems that you picked out during that time that have just stuck with you for the rest of your life? I don't know, but I, I think there's, there's a couple of key things in it. Um, one, everybody is the hero of their own story, right? And so even the bad guy thinks they're the good guy. And, you know, I, I see that happen all the time now as, as an entrepreneur, as an investor. You know, everybody's the hero of their own story. They think they're doing the noble and right thing. And we, we kind of have to step back and observe that and, um, and take note of it. Because nobody sets out and says, I'm going to be the bad guy. They set out to accomplish a goal. And so if we can identify the goal versus um, what we interpret as the intent, then uh, I think that kind of changes your perspective a little bit. The other thing, um, you know, now as an entrepreneur, there's a, a story I love to tell um, about one of my dearest friends and greatest mentors who was uh, a director of mine. And uh, I was doing a show, he was sitting out in the audience as the director and, and there was a guy, um, one of the fellow actors had a big monologue he had to do. And so he gets up on stage and he starts doing this monologue and he's jumping around and he flips over a chair and then he falls flat on the ground. And then he stands up and he stands on his head. Then he does his backflip all the, the time that he's doing this damn monologue. And uh, my buddy, Malcolm, when it all ends, 
you know, this was way back in the early 90s where you could still smoke places, right? So he's sitting out in the audience. He's smoking his cigarette backwards. And he takes a long draw on the cigarette. And he says, there is a difference between milking a cow and fondling the teats. <laughs> you were fondling the teats. And I think of that every single day, right? As an entrepreneur, are we milking the cow? or are we fondling the teats? What are we really doing here, right? And it's a story I tell to my entrepreneurs and friends and to people that work for me all the time because it really drives to the core of building a business. There are so many times that people will call you as a founder and invite you to events and buy you coffee and they wanna do all this stuff. And you could go shake hands and kiss babies all day long as a minorly successful entrepreneur. But is that doing the work? Is that milking the cow? Really? Why not? Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the visual. So thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> Fair, yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, but but yeah, I think I think that's so important, especially in an age uh, as of the recording of this or the the streaming of this. Uh, it's September of 2019. Um, you know, cause co this content's going to be out there for thousands and thousands of years, hopefully. Um, it seems like today so many people are so, and I realize it's a, this is a very general statement I'm about to make, but, but a lot of people are so worried about how they look to other people, whether they look busy or whether they look successful or look productive, you they almost lose that drive to actually become that. And actually be productive and be successful and, and, and create the thing yeah. instead of just building the aesthetic around it. That's right. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in um, the hustle porn or the, the appearance of being a successful entrepreneur rather than just focusing on building a great business, right? And I've been there. I've suffered from this. I've made those same mistakes. I had a, a dot-com back in 99, and um, uh, we built this great business, raised a bunch of venture capital, had a really cool idea, but we were focused then on just acquiring users rather than selling something that people wanted. And so our focus was uh, build the user base, build the user base, and eventually we'll figure out how to make money. And in doing that, right, we did a Super Bowl ad, um, the market crashed, and we had to fire off you know, 120 people on a Friday. But building a, a great startup, it, it comes down to fundamentals. It's like a lemonade stand. Build something people want to uh, buy for more than it costs to make and do that over and over again. It's really pretty simple. Maybe. <laughs> where, did, where did that maybe come from? What's that, what's that shade of gray? I, you know, the, it's easy to say, um, build it for more than it costs to make, sell it do it over and over again. So very simple words. But the actual doing of that, the doing of the work, that's the magic of building a great startup. Telling people that you've built something that people want and you can sell it for more than it costs to make and I'm doing it over and over again and everything is up and to the right. That's the fun part, but it's not the work. Makes a lot of sense. And I think especially hearing it from somebody like you who's i mean you're in it you've been in it for a long long time 
I mean, it may it may sound like common sense when you're there, but and, and it may sound good if you're not there, but unless you're like in it and doing it, yeah. it's hard to really grasp the reality of what that actually means. Yeah, that's true. You know, I was um, fortunate to go down to the Sunshine Coast in Australia about a week and a half ago, and I met some amazing entrepreneurs. And they've got a burgeoning startup community that's a lot like the one here in Boulder, Colorado, 20 years ago. And one of the cautions that I talked to them about was that in building startup community and building this entrepreneurial ecosystem, we often just want to throw lots of parties and have lots of events and invite lots of people over to have beer and listen to some crazy guy from Boulder talk. But we could get more value if we focus on the doing, focus on helping entrepreneurs do the work, right? Instead of having an event where we have beer and listen to some old gray-haired dude from Boulder, let's have an event where we get you know, 20 um, VPs of local companies together and let's do a customer discovery day and really learn something. And let's help our entrepreneurs build businesses rather than uh, just focus on the fun part or the sexy part. Let's do the work, but we could do the work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it is so critical to do the work because for, for so many different reasons. I mean, it's almost a given, but I want to say it because of how important it actually is. The world is, is, is supported. I mean, the, the economic backbone of the world, in my opinion, of course, is my opinion. It, it, entrepreneurs, I mean, we are absolutely the movers and shifters of the world's economy. I mean, the problems that we solve every day, those are the problems that are significantly and very negatively impacting people around the world. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a reason why when we're successful, there's a reason why there's a lot of financial compensation because it is so needed and so valuable in the marketplace and in the world to solve it. And I feel like kind of like what you're saying, like that that hustle porn mentality, the the Instagram culture of just trying to look for every freaking Ferrari to hit a selfie by, like <laughs> it it almost moves us and shifts us away from that connection to the reality that I mean, we're here to solve problems and to serve people and to really fix things that are broken or make them better so yeah. they don't have to be broken. In to me, that's so important. And to be able to to have something or, 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 or some way to really reconnect with that mm. and really like channel that, yeah. oh man, that's powerful. Yeah, you know, we see that a lot. Even these really big enterprises today started as very small ideas and very small companies and then grew to the point that they're at today. I love to tell this story. So my day job, you know, I, I run... Um, startup programs and venture for the global connectivity industry, all the big broadband guys around the world. And we think of them as giant multi-billion dollar enterprises today, right? But they started as family businesses and entrepreneurs, right? One guy, there is a guy, um, Ron Duncan, who uh, drove a Volkswagen bus up to Alaska and said, you know, I think I could run some wires and help these guys get better cable television in these remote parts of Alaska, right? And he did it 
all out of the back of his Volkswagen bus in the 70s. Stickers and spray paint on the side, right? He called his company GCI and spray painted it on the side of the bus. He drove around for a few years doing this thing. And lo and behold, today, they're the largest broadband fiber mobile operator in all of Alaska. He just sold his company for a giant check to Liberty Media only a few months ago. So these stories, these companies we think of as billion dollar enterprises today, they start small, they start as family businesses and they grow. And that story like an S-curve kind of keeps going over and over again with the businesses that your listeners are starting today. Absolutely. So folks, if you have spray paint in a minivan, <laughs> you right. can do it. You, you can, can do it. it. <laughs> Go ahead, drive to Alaska, lots of opportunity. <laughs> that's wonderful so i want to i want to shift gears a little bit um and, and i want to touch on the the piece earlier in the narrative when you said that acting and theater that was a way to connect with people hmm. and that really struck me because um you know connection is is a critical piece of this show and a critical piece of of my ethos mm. and something i believe in very is is very critical to the world it's, it's just connecting people um so i'm curious to learn how did you identify that innate desire of yours or or that um Maybe it's a value. Maybe it's a strength. I'm not exactly sure what it is, uh, but maybe you could help me quantify what that is exactly inside of you and how did you recognize it at that age? I don't think I did. I, I think, to be honest, um, you know, I went to where the girls were and I found that I was good at it and it was a passion of mine and it's a thing I had to do. And it's only, you know, 40 odd years later, 30 years later, looking back, that I could really see what those drivers were in, in my psyche and my core that were pushing me in that direction. Now, I, I think that there is something magical in human connection. And it's the thing I look for when I'm talking to startup founders today. When I look at a business as an investor, I, I love great technology, that stuff's great. But what I really wanna see is, does this founding team know something about humans that nobody else knows. Something, some need they have or way that they've been working that's been a challenge for humans and they've found a way to capture it or solve it or tap into it. And that's really um, how I take this idea or this need for human connection that I had as a kid and start to play it out as an entrepreneur going forward. The other layer to that is, you know, we see today, all of the tools we have in the last 10 years to help entrepreneurs uh, figure out what to build has actually become a detriment in their ability to talk to humans. It's a crazy dynamic that we see today. Wow. So it almost seems like the foundational uh, piece that you're looking for in a venture is that ability to truly connect with other people. Yeah, or to find some human idiosyncrasy that um, people haven't discovered before, right? There is something like, think about the way we use Slack versus the way we use email. Those guys figured out a human tweak or need 
that they plugged into. Um, Hotmail back in the day, right? They figured out this human need to belong. And by having that little viral click link at the bottom of every email, they figured out how to grow a business. It was all some weird human knowledge that uh, a founder had that drove the development of those businesses. And that's kind of what I look for when I look at companies today. That's fascinating. Maybe. How did how did you wait a second? There's a second maybe. So what's what's the maybe this time? The first time I asked, there was a lot of cool information there. Yeah, you know, I I think it's fascinating, but you know, I could be wrong. I I would encourage you not to follow my advice on this one and leave me alone to test it. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm curious. Um, because I, I really think that in order for all of us to, um, you know, to really excel and, and to, to live up to our potential, whatever that means, that's a whole nother wormhole. Yeah. Um, in, uh, we, we have to be able to connect with ourselves too. You bet. And so that, that insight that you shared of, you know, that, uh, that being one of your drivers, uh, at such a young age, I think you said 13, um, that to me is 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 uh, a sign of or evidence of connection with yourself and a lot of self awareness. How did you develop that? And when when did that when did that really dawn on you? Like ah, this is something that I hold very that I hold a, a, or I see a lot of value in, or this is a driver of mine. Yeah, it was probably the fall of 2013. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, every, everything in life is really a collection of amazing happenstance moments that if you lean into and embrace, something good could come out of it. And I happened to be invited to a, a CEO boot camp with a dear friend of mine, Jerry Colonna. If you haven't had Jerry on this conversation, Ben, you got to find Jerry because he's amazing. Um, so I, I spent the weekend uh, or a week really with uh, Jerry and a bunch of other uh, startup CEOs. And I think it was in that process of what he calls radical self-inquiry that I really started to figure out what some of these drivers were for me and, uh, and why and what was good about it and ultimately where the shadow was because you know, there's always good and bad and those uh, interesting, weird things that we are as humans. That is fascinating. What was that process like? Uh, it was really uh, tough and um, revealing. Um, I think as a, as a leader, it was critical to where I got to today, but um, it's hard, man. It is really hard to step back and take a deep look at the shit that you have built up around your own narrative and, and what it means and why and tear it down and, and really look deeply at where you are as a human and where you want to be. Um, it's hard and big lessons and nobody's complete in that process, but you know, I try every day to get a little bit better. So after that process in, in the fall of 2013, is that when you started to to really build this this investing philosophy of of looking for um, finding these 
these idiosyncrasies or these different connection tactics previously unknown or untapped into? I think I've grown into that over the past five years. Um, tested a lot of things, read all the books, talked to all my friends, found the things that worked for them, tried it for myself and realized that I'm not as good at it as maybe they are. Uh, some people are way better at just identifying uh, a great founding team or an amazing technology that's undervalued in the market. Some people have that skill. For me, my unique value in the world is being able to identify human connection and to see it and um, find ways to turn that into something magical. And how do you how do you find it? How do you recognize that when you see it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, everybody has a superpower. It's my weird little superpower. I cannot tell you. I don't know. Maybe I look for it where other people don't. I don't know. What does it feel like when you when you find it? Um, it's, it's cool, right? It's really cool. Um, it feels like finding an Easter egg or, or, you know, the birth of your child. It's really cool. You find it and it's amazing. And um, it's a big secret. And, you know, those are really great moments. And I'm sure many of your listeners have had those same kind of experiences, right? It's that in the flow moment to, to realize or find something. And, you know, um, in many ways, part of my shadow in all of this is that I seek those moments and I look to help entrepreneurs find those moments for themselves. Um, really trying to push and find those places where we can create that human connection or help entrepreneurs take great ideas and turn them into a way to describe it in a way that connects to humans. That's so hard and interesting and fascinating, the overlap of humanity and technology. I agree. Yeah. Why'd you say that's your shadow? Well, uh, you know, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a thing in there. There's a, a way that you can talk to um, people that's scary, right? I think if we think about it, if, if you're not careful, um, there are ways that you can um, connect to humans that provide an outcome that's probably not what you really want. I, I imagine um, with a, a bunch of radical self-inquiry, Elizabeth Holmes may be thinking about the same exact issue. Yeah. I don't know. Not for me to say. Well, me neither, but I definitely think it's fascinating to have the discussion. Mm. So when you are in the theater space yeah. and you're spending time there and you're developing and you're learning and you're growing and then you're moving into um, moving into more of the business world. Yeah. Um, what did that actually, what did that transition actually look like on you know, on a, on a, on a very practical level? Um, you know, it's, it was hard, but the lessons you learn as an actor are the same things you learn as a multi-time venture backed startup CEO. I know that I had to audition 40 times for every role I got. 
So it's 39 times I went into some, you know, crazy office space or some room somewhere or some dark theater. And a guy says, you know, you kind of suck. And I would walk out until one guy said, let's give this kid a chance. And the same thing is true for an entrepreneur today, right? As you go out to raise venture funding, how, maybe you talk to a hundred venture guys before you figure out what your story is or what your unique value proposition is or what you really bring to the table. And you find that one person who says, yes, it's a very uh, similar dynamic. And there are lots of businesses where that's not true, where you know maybe enterprise sales isn't exactly the same way. If I want to build a business, I have to sell 10,000 customers. If I want to raise venture or get an acting gig, I got to convince one person. And so those two kind of mirror up. So I built a lot of mechanisms and learnings over the years as an actor that fed right into having no fear of no. I love that. Yeah. And how did you decide what to really build your businesses around when you were first getting started? And, and yeah. uh, really the, the angle or the, the context I really want to come from is I want to eliminate the excuse once and for all. I don't have a good idea. Yeah. Right. Like let's just, let's just kill that one. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I may not be able to help you. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, my first two companies were pre-internet. Um, and so both of them, again, just happenstance falling into something, saying yes, leaning into uh, an opportunity and trying it. Um, after, after my second company uh, had sold, I was kind of this like actor turned entrepreneur before that was like a thing or People thought it was interesting. And so, uh, you know, I thought, well, now I'm kind of used to having money in a job. I should go get a job. I don't have an idea for my next company, but nobody would hire me. And uh, I went around to all these tech companies in the Midwest, all these guys that were just kind of building software for um, this, not even the internet then, but it, you know, software was starting to come on to the world. And I would show up and I'd interview and people would go, I don't know what to make of this guy. He's an actor and he sold two companies. I got nothing for him, right? And so, you know, I would go around, I'd have interview after interview and people would just send me packing. And finally, I swear this is true. I, um, I have this meeting with this guy, Norm, who was a sales guy for a freight bill pre-audit and payment company in uh, Wisconsin. And I sit down with Norm and I'm interviewing for this sales job. And yeah, I go through the whole background, tell him the whole story, all of this stuff. And Norm, he's like as old as Moses. He's got the plaid jacket on and the whole deal. And after I finish, he leans across, he looks me dead in the eye and he says, you know what? You're kind of an asshole, but I'm gonna hire you anyway. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at that age, I was probably 23. I'm sure he was right. I'm sure he was right. But Norm took me under his wing and he taught me how to sell. And he taught me all of this stuff about humans and sales process and buying things. And, 
and um, it, it was another one of these magical happenstance mentors that I stumbled into that I could not be where I am today if I hadn't known Norm. And he gave me everything. Um, from there, I, you know, my career just kind of uh, jumped into uh, the internet in the mid-90s and then starting companies and messaging beyond that. And um, most of the companies that I've started all were by accident. Interesting things that I bumped into that made me realize there was something that other people didn't know. And I think I could monetize that or build a business out of that or take advantage of that to build a company around it. So you didn't even necessarily have to create that original idea or have this earth shattering revelation because you found it and put the pieces together. Yeah. You know, if you're a, if you're directing a play, right. If you're going to direct Hamlet, that play is 400 years old. The words are all the same, right? That we all know how it ends. Damn near everybody dies. Uh, and so there are no surprises here. And yet every single production is different. So how did these guys do that? How does an actor or a director take a script that we all know how it's gonna end, the words are the same, 400 years old, and find some new innovation every single time? And they do it by taking something about that person, right? What is it that you know intimately that nobody else knows? And how do you smash that together with a problem space like, you know, uh, four and a half hours of words from, you know, a guy named Bill 400 years ago, and then figure out how to marry those two. And that's kind of been my little trick. I, I discover something in the world, there's some tech or there's some weird thing. And then what do I know? And how do I smash that together to create something else? I love that. So when, when you come across this thing that, that, that exists, like you find the, the secret or the connection or the, or the technology yeah. and you're, you're looking at it, are you like, what is the actual process of, of taking what you know and like building upon it or, or like, I'm using hand gestures. Here. I don't, even I don't mean to, I'm here. like, I'm like <laughs> all in the hand gesture thing. But uh, like, what's the actual process? Uh, or maybe it's not a process. Maybe it's just creativity at, at its finest. But um, how do you actually go about like attaching your experience and your knowledge to something that already exists and making it better, raising it up? I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is just um, having an eye towards those combinations that could create something where one plus one equals nine. And if you know that that's possible, then um, you look for it. And I knew that that was the only way I was going to have a Hamlet that was different than Laurence Olivier. And I can never compare to Laurence Olivier. But if I was going to do anything that uh, would even be close, I'd have to find some way to connect it to something deep inside of me. And um, the same is true with the technology. There are lots of people who built email businesses through the 2000s. But if I was going to make one that was successful, I had to find some way to connect that deeply to me. If I'm going to help entrepreneurs today, I have to find a way to leverage something I know that nobody else knows to help them with that. And so it's uh, it's those combinations, I think, that ultimately 
create the magic. I want to shift gears again on you a little bit. Okay. Um, and I want to talk about education and how you have learned the things that you've learned, gained the knowledge you've gained. Um, how throughout your life, how have you? How have you continued to better yourself and to learn? Was it through books or seminars or mentors or just doing it and the yeah. blood, sweat, and tears? Like, wh- what has that looked like for you? And what have been some of the most pivotal uh, lessons you've learned from that? Yeah. Um, there was one secret magical feature of Scott that gave me an advantage as an actor back in the day. And that's, um, I remember things. And so I could read a script once or twice and I kind of know the words. Um, And the same is true now. So I read a ton and I just, I'm lucky enough to be able to remember that stuff. And so it, uh, my wife would say it's a blessing and a curse. Um, I I probably agree with her, uh, but I I just tend to remember things. And so, you know, when I get thrown into a situation and I'm trying to figure it out, uh, I read the book, I read multiple books. Um, and then I have all that data in my head and I can start to smash it together and see if there's a way to turn it into something else. Um, so that weird little feature of Scott, I think has given me the ability to do a lot of the things that I've done now. So I would say, um, Everything you need to know about building a startup today has already been written. It is all for free on the internet. Read all of it or read some of it and then go try it and then write your own book so somebody else can figure out what you know. Based on everything that you've read, yeah. what have been some of those uh, those critical, just life-changing, pivotal uh, pieces of information or, or these these lessons that you could extract from your uh, your your experiences you know the one that I talk about a lot with founders it's a thing that I think people forget it's really hard to build a business it's hard um, coming up with the idea. It's hard doing the work. It's hard building a team. It's hard maintaining culture. It's hard to raise money. All of that stuff is so difficult and it. It's the struggle, right? But as soon as you have that thing, right? You go out to the world to talk about it. It's no longer about you. People don't actually care how hard you've worked to get to this point. And so as an entrepreneur, as a founder, as a product developer, as a person who's built something magical, you want to tell everybody about this thing. But nobody gives a shit. People out there in the world, they want to know how this thing you've built is going to help me. Because we are all petty, selfish humans. And when we hear about a new company, we're not there to celebrate your success with you. We are there to understand if the work you've done can benefit me personally. And it's the sad reality. But if we, as entrepreneurs, make that distinction and start thinking about how can I talk about this uh, beautiful widget that I've built in a way that uh, is more about the listener than it is about me, 
then I think we can actually make a big difference in the world. I love that. I love that. Thank because you. it changes the the dynamic. Yeah. You know, when, when, uh, one of my, uh, my, my dear friends and mentors, um, Ben Gay III, always tells me, and, and he's just a little bit of context on him. He's the last living protege of Dr. Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich. And he, uh, he always tells me, he's like, Ben, you got to remember W-I-I-F-M. That's what the customers are saying. What's in it for me? Right. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. But we forget about it. We have built tools for entrepreneurs that actually undermine and undercut our ability to do this. Right? You think about the process. Everybody listening is probably doing this right now. They've got a lean canvas, right? Uh, they, they've read the blog. They've read the book. They're doing all this work. Build a hypothesis. We're going to build, measure, iterate. They go have amazing customer discovery conversations. And in those conversations, that potential customer tells them all of this great data. Well, it has to be AR and VR and machine learning. And uh, I want it Kubernetes and to run on AWS. And you know, they go on and on about all this detail. For us in customer discovery, invaluable. We go build our product and it does all this stuff. And then as soon as we go out to the world and talk to another human being, we think that the way to sell them is to repeat what we heard in customer discovery, right? Well, I mean, this is AI and ML and machine learning, and it's got Kubernetes on AWS, and uh, it's a SaaS platform. Who cares? Nobody cares. And so we're actually building our own failure into the startup process by not recognizing that there's been this missing piece of how do I talk about what it is I've built. That's powerful. Because it seems like the key is to talk about what it's going to do for the customer. Like what problems is it going to take off of their shoulders? Yes. Yes. You know, it's fascinating to me because I study people. And it is fascinating to me how much different a conversation becomes or, or the, the dynamic of the conversation turns into when you're talking about what the other person cares about. Yeah. They are vastly more uh, oh, yeah. uh, attentive and right. engaged in it because it's relevant to them. Yeah. Yeah. Enough about me. What do you think of me? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I think there is something really cool in this, Ben. You know, when um, when you change that and you start to talk about the people who could be buying it, if you start telling stories about what happened to somebody who bought your product, rather than here are the ninety-seven features of what we've built, um, I think people naturally gravitate to that, and they can picture themselves as one of your customers. And when that happens, um, you start to find the growth curve. And, and so remember we were talking earlier about, do you know something about humans that nobody else knows? This is the way you can find it. Start talking about your users rather than yourself because nobody gives a shit about you. But the people you're talking to really care about themselves. So give them a reason to marry those two things up. I love that. 
So, uh, Scott, I want to thank you so, so much uh, for coming on the show today. I want to be very respectful of your time. Um, so I have uh, I have one more question for you. All right. And um, then we'll rock and roll. Actually, I'm sorry. I have two questions for you. Okay. Start um, with the second, though. Okay. Good <laughs> I'm idea. Kidding. I'm kidding. Ask away. Um, based on all that you've read and all that you've learned and all the work you've done, what questions do you still have about yourself? Oh, man. You know, I, um, I spend a lot of time in that, as I think everybody should, right? Uh, what, are the, what are the deep things? What's that radical self-inquiry, as Jerry would say, that we can do every single day? Um, you know, I still work really hard to, um, to find the truth in a moment and to really deeply listen. You know, that it's still really hard. And I think the more you know, um, the more you think you know, and the more you want to contribute to a conversation. And then you know even more, and you realize you don't know shit. And, um, but you still have things you think you need to say. And I think the place that I um, am really practicing right now is um, to just shut up and listen a bit more and um, understand before I talk. It's just uh, something I practice a lot. I think it's very insightful and I feel like if a lot more people did that, we would be in a, um, a much, uh, much more productive world. <laughs> you may be right. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, you know, I want to thank you. And, and last question here. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to ask specifically from my perspective, okay. uh, from the perspective of a 24 year old. Okay. Um, but I want to know what question should I be asking you? that I just wouldn't think to ask. Yeah. Um, and I think a great question from your perspective, um, you know, it might be uh, what's behind the next door, right? What's the thing that I should watch out for or um, who should I know? Um, in the world? Those would be questions that I would want. It, when I was 24, I probably should have been asking those questions more. Um, I got lucky and found some really great mentors early on. Uh, I think if I had been more deliberate about it, then that could have been super helpful. Um, and I think if I would have asked people that knew what was next in my path that I didn't know about, that could have been really interesting as well. That's wonderful. Well, uh, thank you very much again, Scott. Um, I'm very grateful for uh, for the time that we've been able to share together and uh, and, and for this discussion. It's, it's been um, very meaningful for me, so I want to say thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Ben. This was really fun. Uh, this is a great time, and I love this Project Egg thing. I, I don't know if I mentioned it to you, but uh, as soon as I got connected to you, it gave me this flashback of this amazing letter that F. Scott Fitzgerald sent to his daughter when she was 11. Have you read this or seen this? No. Oh, you have to check it out. He, uh, you can find it online. Um, he wrote a letter to his daughter when she was 11 um, with all of these things she should worry about, things she shouldn't worry about. But the nut of it 
is that before she left for camp that year, she called him Pappy. And so he spends about half the letter saying, if you don't stop calling me Pappy, I'm going to call you Egg Fitzgerald from now on. And, uh, and he makes this big threat. I'm going to tell all your friends that your name is Egg Fitzgerald. Don't tempt me. It's hysterical. There's great life advice in that. There's amazing insight uh, in that letter. And Egg Fitzgerald. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to have to find that because that sounds great. Um, but but again, you know, I, I want to say thank you. Uh, uh, thank you to you and uh, thank you to everybody who's watching and listening whenever you're watching and listening. Um, I'm very appreciative of y'all and, and uh, I'm grateful that y'all choose to share your time with us today. So um, thank you very much, Scott. Thank you to everybody who's watching, listening, and I will see all of you on the next episode. Take care now.